This is the Master Marketer Show, powered by Proofpoint Marketing. Each week, we explore the mindsets, skill sets, and tool sets the top B2B marketers use to drive results. Gain actionable insights, one masterful, revenue-generating success story at a time. Let's get started. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Master Marketer Show. I am super excited today. I've got Dr. Marcus Collins to chat with us to, about culture. Uh, Marcus, you are a professor at the Ross School of Business at the University of Michigan. You've done a million other things that I'm not going to mention. You're also the author of, as people can see in your background if they're watching, book for the culture. And as far as I'm concerned, you are a culture expert. We're going to really dive deep into your brain about all things culture. So welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm super stoked to be here and ready to dive in. Awesome. Well, you know, where I'd love to kick things off is what do you believe is the connection between culture and brand? Mm. Mm. I think it's a very... Very clear connection, but first we need to start with some definition, right? We need some some con some constructs for which we can build. Uh, what is culture? Uh, culture is I look at it through a, a Durkheimian lens. Emil Durkheim, one of the founding fathers of sociology, he talks about culture as a system of conventions and expectations that demarcate who we are and govern what people like us do, right? So there are way by which we identify and establish expectations and, and, and acceptability for people like us. Cool. So it's through our culture that we not only identify ourselves, but because of who we are, we see the world a certain way, right? a set of beliefs, ideologies, truths, and stories we tell ourselves about the world that are then manifested in the, the artifacts that we don, the behaviors that are normative, the language that we use. And then we express it through cultural production, music, film, literature, art, Hands and, and the like, and brands and branded products. So, if cultural production is can be an extension or expression of, of, of people through brands and branded products, well, what is a brand? Well, brand, well, there's brand, the verb to brand, and then there's brand, the noun. To brand, etymologically speaking, is to mark something permanently, like a branding iron, right? And that mark was a mark of ownership. In fact, if you translate the word uh, brand in any romantic or Germanic language, it translates into mark or mark A or mark up, right? So the mark is the mark of ownership, a way by which I signify that that belongs to me. And the signifier that is brand are used to conjure up thoughts and feelings in the minds or hearts of people relative to a product, company, institution, organization, or person. So brands in and of themselves, they're vessels of meaning. They're signifiers that we can identify. Well, what mediates signification, meaning? That is culture. That is, we translate the world through cultural lenses, right? Is, is a cow uh, leather? Is it a deity or is it dinner? Well, it depends because it's all those things, but it depends on who you are and how you see the world through your cultural subscription. So I would argue that brands are vessels of meaning that are translated through our cultural lenses by which we see and translate the world. I love those definitions. How do you, for, you know, that there, you'll get a, a lot of people that think that they can't be, you know, 
manipulated by marketing that they can't like that they're that they're better than kind of what you just described um better or just not susceptible whatever we wanted to call it um how how do you address that I'd say they're probably the most easily <laughs> the most easily influenced by it because they don't think it exists. And that and that's that's the thing, you know. It's like uh, it's um, it's what 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 street magic magicians do, right? It's the art of illusion. Like you think no one can fool me. Like oh, we got this guy or we got this girl. The same thing goes with with, with marketing um, and, and 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 marketing communications. If we don't understand the influence, the forces that are influencing us, then we leave ourselves uh, vulnerable to be influenced by them. But understanding what things are and having language to articulate what they are gives us agency to, to see it. And, you know, when we realize what these things are, you know, we adopt a set of humi some humility and go, oh man, even me who studies these things and put things in the world using the, these strategies and, and this understanding for some of the biggest brands in the world, even I myself are influenced by them. Uh, uh, Daniel Kahneman, who's a Nobel laureate psychologist, he studies you know, the, the way we process mentally, uh, cognitive processes, system one and system two, as he talks about them, through these cognitive heuristics, the, the, these cognitive biases that we have. And he says, I'm a Nobel laureate, <laughs> considered the leading scholar in this very thing, and even he falls victim to them. So for you to think that you are above it, uh, it, it makes for a very, very, very good customer. So you, uh, in your book, you talk mostly about consumer culture and how that influences consumer brands and the connection to marketing and all that. Um, what do you say to folks? And again, we're, we focus on B2B. Most of our listeners are in the B2B space. Uh, what do you say to those that say, well, well B2B is different? I say, yeah, you're right. Totally. B2B is different. It's a different context for sure. It's just like uh, I feel totally fine telling Eddie Murphy jokes at the bar, but I'll never tell them at church, even with the exact same people. Why? Because the context is different. However, why do I tell jokes to connect with my people? And that doesn't change. And I think that's that's sort of the the, the impetus of how this understanding of culture as a vehicle for consumption plays in different contexts, whether it's B2C or B2B. Right? There, there is no external force more influential to human behavior than culture. Full stop what we wear, how we style ourselves, how we adorn ourselves, uh, the way you wear your hair, if you have it, the car you drive, the phone you use, uh, where you went to school, if you went to school, where you vacation, how, what you eat, who you marry, if you marry, where you bury the dead, if you bury the dead, almost every aspect of social living is mediated, governed by our cultural subscription. And it doesn't stop when we're in the grocery aisles considering what we might buy as consumers, it also influences what we do in our offices, what we do when we're responding to emails or when we're getting pitched or we're pitching other people. We are, we're good marketers, that is, we are appealing to humanity, the thing, the underlying physics that govern why we do what we do. And the better we understand that, realizing 
that the governing operating system of humanity is culture, the more we realize that, the better we realize that we're able to leverage those themes and 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 put them to work, apply them to the context that is B2B. And we know this intuitively because what do we do to when we're, when we're in client services and we're trying to sell things to clients? What do we do? We need to take them out to dinner. We need to go play golf with them. We need to take them out of the context of quote unquote business and speak to the humanity of them so that when we're on the phone with them, trying to pitch them a thing, we know who they are. We know how they see the world. We know what they believe. We know what they're afraid of. We know the things that matter to them based on who they are. We know these things intuitively. B2B, B2C, B2G, right? business to government, they're all P2P. They're all people to people. They're humans. And what governs humanity is our cultural subscription. So understanding this becomes extremely powerful despite the context in which you use it. So I want to um, read you a quote I wrote down from, from the book, and I'd love to ask you a question about it. So uh, hopefully I don't butcher this. I'm pretty sure I wrote it down right. So you say, instead of trying to create a community around you, perhaps you'd be better off trying to find the people who already believe what you believe and facilitate the network that connects them. So in the context of B2B, what we see a lot right now is this movement of community-led growth as a go-to-market motion. Yeah. Now, I, I forget the whole blank-led growth thing. Um, where I see a lot of it is, well, they're actually doing the opposite of what you say, which is, well, no, let me build a community around what I do. So I'd love to maybe, I don't know if you have an example you can think of, of how would you put uh, this community-like growth movement, if you will, uh, in context of this quote? Sure. Okay. So let's let's start with the uh, sort of the, the, uh, the, the argument that's being made. Um, the argument that it's making is that for long, marketers have used the sales funnel as a way to reach people. We're going to reach, we're going to speak to as many people as possible, prayerfully reach 20% of them, and God willing, we can convert 0.012% of them. That's been our approach. That's the, the sales funnel, the marketing funnel. That's what we've been doing for uh, over a century now. And intuitively, that makes sense. We're going to reach a lot, we're going to talk to a lot of people, maybe reach a few, hopefully they become considerations and then consideration converts. Now, while that may be efficient, it's not terribly effective. It's quite actually quite wasteful. Um, not only that, that when we're talking about the people we're trying to reach, it's typically noisy. A lot of people are trying to reach them as well, right? So it becomes cluttered, saturated, and therefore we have to spend more money to cut through. Well, what do we know about humanity? What actually influences us the most is people. And I know that, that that is like marketers do not want to hear this, right? That is a sobering fact, right? People trust people more than any form of marketing communication, more than print, out of home, radio, television, native. We trust people. In fact, we trust strangers more than we trust marketers. That's why we rely on, on, on Amazon ads, right? So the idea of leveraging community community-led growth or leveraging the voice of other people is because the voice of other people are more influential than the voice of any marketing communications, right? So then the idea then is, okay, so, all right, I get that. 
But why can't I just use the voice of other people with regards to my value propositions? A razor sharper, battery lasts longer. Well, what gets people to move has less to do with functionality, rationality, and everything to do with emotions, right? The part of the brain that's associated with behavioral adoption, it's the same part of the brain's associated with emotions. We know this intuitively, we call it gut instinct. We call it intuition. I felt it in my gut, so I did a thing. Well, actually you felt it in your limbic system. <laughs> and your limbic system is associated with both feelings and behavior and you act accordingly. And then we rely on rationality to justify it. And rationality sits in a different part of the brain associated with our, our neocortex, right? And so is articulation. So it's easy for us to articulate the rational, hard to articulate the emotional. So we typically talk in, in, in data-driven language. But by and large, we're, we're influenced by our, 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 what we feel. So when marketers appeal to who we are, what we feel, what we believe, there's a higher likelihood of getting those people to move. And they go preach the gospel, not because of what you are, but because of who they are. An example, I talk about this in the book, uh, would be GE. Right? So GE, GE actually has three business con uh, contexts. They are B2C company, they're a B2B company, and they're a B2G company, right? So they they run the gambit, right? And they're different business units. Uh, and, and a few years back, General, uh, uh, General Electric GE did a, a campaign called What's the Matter with Owen? And the idea is this. GE as a company believes in, 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 in inventing the future, right? Thomas Edison, one of the founders, he believed that whatever – he said he goes out in the world, finds what the problems are, and, and he solves it by, through invention. That is, if you want the future, you invent it. You make the future. That's what they believe. And they've been communicating that with GE. We bring good things to life. GE, imagination at work. Right? Uh, so this campaign was not to, not to communicate its products. It was an HR play. This was about recruiting employees. And the premise was this. Owen is a new employee, a new hire at GE, but no one understands what Owen does. He goes home and says, I'm working at GE. And his parents go, great, you're going to work on train systems. And he's like, well, no, I'm actually building the systems on which train systems are, 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 are ran. And their parents are like, what? What are you doing? Their friends don't get you. Your people don't get you. But GE, we do because we see the world the way you do, Owen. You want to... You want to invent the future, and so do we. And it shows a, a, a series of vignettes of Owen not being understood by his people, but GE saying that we get you, right, which is why he works there. In the 18 months that campaign ran, they saw an 800% increase in job applications. They didn't say anything about what your salary might be, what your 401k would be, the location you're going to be stationed. None of those value proposition driven things. This was all about shared ideology, shared belief, the anchor of culture. And it drove considerable uh, uh, increase in, in job applications, getting people to move, which is the core function of marketing. So we can see this in a non business to consumer setting in a B2B, which is HR is a B2B function, right? It is, it is a non-consumer driven function. It drives people to adopt behavior. We see the same thing in politics. We see the same thing in leadership. We see the same thing in consumption. And we see the same thing in day-to-day -day life because it's not predicated on the context. It's predicated on what makes us human.
Well, and you've, you've just given me a really awesome uh, transition point that I want to ask you about, which is internal culture. So, you know, there, there's a, a typical, uh, I don't know if it's a quote, but, you know, if you don't build culture, one will be created for you. <laughs> right? That's right. So what do you, how do you think about that? And maybe take this GE uh, example as the context. Sure. Uh, the thing about culture is that it's manifested through consumption, right? We, we make our culture material by the things that we consume, right? They become identity projects for ourselves to communicate who we are, even in an organizational sense, right? I wear, I wear the swag for my company because they are identity marks of who I am. I'm proud to work here. If you hate your company, you're not walking around with the fleece from your company. It ain't happening right? because you don't feel like it is an extension of, of who you are. So not only are there identity markers as a way of saying who we are, because of our identity is associated to this thing, we therefore act in concert with people like ourselves in an effort to promote social solidarity. So within the organization, we say, okay, we are company blue. What do we believe? Because of what we believe, we therefore exercise our belief through artifacts, behaviors, language, and express it through cultural production. That is, our, our social facts, our way of life, how we do things around here are meant to be outward expressions of inward beliefs. So as an organization, you ask ourselves, well, well what do we believe? And our And is our way of life a true reflection of it? For instance, I, I, I do a lot of like executive education work here, here at Ross. Um, and I work with like with, with companies in, in a very intimate level, right? So like tailored project or tailored programs for companies. And I'll ask them, for instance, uh, uh, you know, what do you believe? And we say, what about innovation? Innovation is important. Innovation. Great, great, great. And I go, what are the stories that you tell within your company, particularly about innovation? And the majority of those stories are hero stories where people succeeded. They had this idea and they pitched it to their manager, their manager bought into it and they put it in the market and voila, success. Those are the stories that are told. But what the company was seeing is that there wasn't a ton of innovation happening. And they go, what's going on here? We believe that innovation is important, but why isn't it happening? And I said, well, well, one problem I hear is the stories you're telling. You're telling success stories. Innovation requires a, a high tolerance for risk. And if the only thing that you hero is success, then you are telling people do not fail. Failure is not acceptable here. We don't prop up failure. Failure is not a part of the folklore. And therefore, people are less inclined to take risks. Instead, you should be telling risk stories, failure stories. Hey, Mike had this great idea and man, it bombed. Well, why are we excited about this? Because Mike took a risk. And actually, because of that risk, we learned. And when you tell stories like that, people feel not only safe to, 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 to take risks, but they also feel encouraged to do it. And it's no, we know intuitively from everything we know about innovation that it requires some disposition for risk-taking, some, 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 some semblance of that we're willing to take a chance on something. And something as little as the stories that the company was were telling were fortifying uh, behaviors that were antithetical to the belief. 
So this idea of culture is not only manifested in what we buy as a way of acting in concert with people like us, it also manifests in the organizations we're a part of as a way of attributing, uh, of achieving uh, social solidarity by acting in concert with people like us, whether it's our, our professional organizations, our social groups, our families, our religions, and the like. I, I love the way you describe it because the, one of the things I consistently talk about with our clients as we're talking to them is, you know, people don't build relationships directly to brands. They build affinity to brands through their relationships with people, ideas, and groups. And everything you just described, all these stories you told is completely reflective of just that, right? And groups is a pretty broad term that could be, you know, internal groups within the organization. It could be the broader organization itself. It could be external groups, et cetera. Ideas, that's, you know, what do we believe? That's right. right? And even, and, you know, the, 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 you know the, the quote that you that you mentioned, like if you don't, you know, if you don't establish a culture, it will establish one on itself. Essentially saying that if you aren't intentional about establishing what do we believe, establishing our shared way of life, establishing our cultural production, then the community, the people who are in it, they're going to do it for you. That is, they're going to say, hey, the boss said that we need to do this, but the, the boss says that like, you know, uh, quitting time is at five, but like we all got here at 430. This is what we do. The boss says, hey, you know, uh, know this, but these are the, this is what we do around here. And if you aren't, intentional about first establishing the beliefs and then the way by which those beliefs are manifested, then the people will make their own way of life. And that way of life may be out of sync with your beliefs. Definitely in most cases going to be out of sync with your desires. So let, let's play out a hypothetical here. Let's say you are working with a, an organ with a, with a leadership within an organization where culture has gotten away from them. They've mm -hmm. not been intentional. Yep. What do you advise them to do from a mindset perspective? Oh. Like how do they, how do they go into the process of quote unquote, fixing this problem? Yep. You first take inventory of the culture. Well, I guess the very first thing is having an understanding of what culture is. It's a word we use so flippantly, you know, it's in some cases as marketers, it's typically, a shortcut for popularity um, and organizations is sort of a, a, it's a, it's a proxy for policies. We have a foosball table in the kitchen. We have a great culture here. Um, and because we don't have a great understanding of it, we don't have a great Rosetta stone to talk about it. And therefore we don't have much agency to operationalize it. So the first is like, let's, let's, let's agree on language on what culture is. And then Let's take inventory of our culture through that lens. And what so, we find, I want to interrupt you just really quickly. Yeah, oh yeah, I know you already defined it in the very beginning. Yeah. But define it one more time. Yeah. It's the system of conventions and expectations that demarcate who we are and what people like us do. And it's through this system that we make meaning of the world. Right? It's the system. What's acceptable behavior? Like, first of all, because of who we are, what do we believe? And because of what do we believe? What do we wear? What are our behaviors? What are our language? Then how do we express them through cultural production? Stories, folklore, uh, music, literature, and, and, and the like, and brands and branded products, by the way. Um, 
So the first thing is like, all right, that is culture. Great. So culture is the system of conventions and expectations that demarcate who we are and govern what we do. Awesome. What are our systems? Well, what do we believe? I mean, put some leaders in a room and ask them to define the belief of the company. And you go, whoa, 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 whoa. I, I thought we were all reading from the same hymnal here. What's going on? What's going on? Right? You find you find there's so much heterogeneity in the way that the shared belief in big air quotes is articulated. That you go, oh, that's that's problem number one. We haven't even defined what this thing what this thing is, right? And I talk about this in the book. Like REI is a great example of this. You know, REI, you know, had a coming together of leadership, and the CEO Jerry Scrisley said, you know, what do we believe? And they said in unison, we believe that a, a life outdoors, life well spent. He said, great. Whew. I'm glad we're on the same page there. Now, if that be the case, then why are our, our doors open on Black Friday when the majority of the country has the day off? And someone says, well, because that's when we go from the red to the black. That's why we call it Black Friday. We make a lot of money that day. And he goes, yeah, 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 sure, 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 sure. I get that. But. If we believe that life outdoors, life well spent, then we should be encouraging people to go outside, not go indoors and shop, right? And while that may be antithetical to the business model, it might be antithetical to the, the fiduciary responsibility of the company, it was in line, it was congruent with how they see the world, the, the foundation, the cornerstone of culture. So they were willing to forego economic gain to be in lockstep with who they are. That is their behaviors as an organization, their kinetics as an organization was more important that that was demonstrative of its belief system than it was to make a whole bunch of money right now. And what happened when they do that? Not only does everyone get on, get on board, like, all right, we're, this is why we're here and we are acting in concert in lockstep in that happening, but they actually inspired other companies who saw the world similarly to close their doors on Black Friday and no less they inspire municipalities in states across the country who normally would have their national parks closed because 25 states actually observe Black Friday as a national holiday, surprisingly. Close, uh, would have their, their state parks closed. They open it up so people can go out and play, inspiring other people around them to behave. And REI experienced the highest Black Friday weekend sales they've ever experienced unbelievable and that idea that spark of an idea came out of rei saying what do we believe now let's take inventory of how we behave based on that belief system and that's what i would do with companies that's what i do with companies what do you believe how do you see the world awesome talk to me about your artifacts talk to me about the behaviors the social norms the unwritten rules talk to me about your language talk to me about the the, the, the cultural production what are the stories you tell when these things are out of sync, that's when the culture gets wobbly. But when they are congruent, what happens is that the people who are in the boat, the believers, they get in line. And the people who are not believers, they leave. And amen to both of them. What I, what I find amazing is that internal culture, especially when like times are tough, kind of goes by the wayside. Even though if you really connect the dots and do the math, it is probably one of the biggest predictors of maybe not short-term, but medium and long-term financial success. 
Because right. if you people believe it, if they believe the work, they believe in the work, they believe in the vision, they believe in the mission, they believe in the values and everything that you just talked about, they will do better work. They will do great work. And then they will get other people to believe it externally. And right. it just cascades. I mean, we know this intuitively. We know this so well. But as soon as we get into a business setting, we take off our human hat and put on our business hat. And our business hat seems to forget everything about humanity. But you're right. I mean, it's such a predictor of, of success that, I mean, this is how small businesses, this is how, this is how startups start. There are two people, three people, four people sitting around the table. None, no one's making money. In fact, they're actually losing money. <laughs> losing, losing, losing their shirts. But they're all there because they believe. And they put all their effort, all their time, all their all, all their social capital into this thing because they believe. There's there's not there's nothing man there's nothing material at the moment, but there's a shared belief. The challenge is that when the company gets bigger, the people who join the organization get further and further away from the the evangelists, the preachers of said gospel, and they start showing up just for the value propositions. Oh, they, it looks good on my resume. Oh, they have a great 401k. Oh, they're re they're they pay well. Oh, their 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 uh their retirement uh uh policy is great. Their vacation policy is awesome. But as soon as you hit hard times, they're the first to be out. The people though who believe go, oh man, like th this thing is an extension of me. This isn't just a job. This is a this is my family. This is my home. And even though they're not of the same blood and they're not technically family. You feel that connected, not because you work together, but because you share a same belief system. We see it on the the battle lines in 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 in, in, um, in military. We see it in teams, on the court or on the field. We see it within our friends, within our communities, and our work. Professionalism is just another institution by which we engage in this thing that we call humanity. So taking it one step further, what do we believe? That's the mindset we got to go into this with is defining it, taking inventory of it. I think a lot of companies are good at that part after they realize they have the problem and they'll, they'll define it. They'll create a pretty deck and posters and they'll do a presentation. Okay. But how do you, if that's all you do, that'll last for a week and then everything goes away. So what are the skill sets required from a leadership perspective to really live, not just live it, but disseminate it in a way so that everybody else believes in it and lives it? Yeah. Yeah. So what is, how do we go from platitudes <laughs> to, to something meaningful? Uh, I mean, the first thing is that we have to think about these things as not just like you know, talk about what is the brand purpose. No, no, no. Those those things are fleeting. You know, I think what this is about conviction. Because I'm convicted, and I I always talk about. I never use the word. I never use the phrase brand purpose because a lot of people have purposes they don't live up to, right? But conviction, conviction, it it connotes action. Like to be convicted is to stand for something, right? So as a leader. The, the first skill is conviction. What are you convicted about? And are you willing to stand for it? It requires bravery. That like, even though the short term, this might be good for us, 
does it go against who we actually are? And that ability to have discipline in that courage is what creates the model by which people use to keep themselves plumb. Like the, the leader, I would say like leaders don't make the culture. They don't establish the culture. What they do is they establish, uh, they model the culture. And the idea is that by modeling the culture, people see it in action. And then the community, the people within the, 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 the company, they negotiate and construct whether it's legitimate, whether they're going to do it or not. So not only does leaders need to be good at uh, uh, being convicted, being disciplined, they also need to be really good at preaching the gospel. Like I think, I think Simon Sinek put it this way, that like the, the CEO shouldn't be the chief executive officer. It should be the chief evangelist officer. That you should be the one preaching the gospel so that everyone knows why we're here. You know, um, and as being a good evangelist, and you don't have to be, you don't have to be the best speaker. You don't have to be Martin Luther King. You don't have to be that. You just have to be sincere in the way you deliver. You have to, it has to feel like you believe it and it's delivered in a way that is sincere. And in that sincerity requires being empathetic. It's, it's required help understanding how people are translating it and how it is manifesting what they do and what are the pain points that, that are keep people from tripping up or that are keep tripping up people rather. So you've, you've worked for and with a lot of big name organizations and individuals. I'd love to hear a story about what, like what's the best example of what you just described that you've seen. That the best example, I mean, I've, I've seen quite a few, I'll be honest. Um, you know, you know what? I give a lot, a lot of credit to State Farm. So State Farm is an insurance company. Nothing sexy about insurance. <laughs> and if we want to be very honest, you know, all insurance companies, they use the same actuary tables. So they are legit parity. Like they are by definition parity. Right, the actual foundation of what their business offer, their product offering is, is exactly the same. The, one is just more risk tolerant or risk loving than, than the other. And, and and in this world of parity, you know, State Farm said, well, what, "What do we believe?" You know, State Farm had been in you know in the the conversation, the discourse about you know cutting costs. We're cheaper, cheaper, cheaper. Or, you know, we're cost competitive, etc. They weren't cheaper, but they were trying to be cost cost competitive. And we said to them, why don't you talk about what you believe? What, what, we do, what do we believe? Well, State Farm believes in helping people live life more confidently every day. So they, they make better decisions. That's why they exist, to help people make better decisions so they live life more confidently every day. And they do that by having expert agents, 18,000 expert agents around the country to be there for you when you need them, however you need them. They just so happen to sell insurance. This will happen to sell financial services, right? But why they do it is much, much more powerful. And once Steve Farm got their mind around that, they said, oh, we've been doing this all wrong. They said, yeah. So because of how State Farm sees the world, they were there to help people live life more confidently every day. State Farm decided to look at agents, not as, you know, uh, not as salesmen, but agents are magical. They're there whenever you need them to help you. 
and we created the the campaign like a neighbor state farm is there magic jingle and the agent shows up a manifestation of what it's like having someone who is skilled on your, on your side we later did that uh i did that work uh with with chris paul where we had his alter ego cliff paul who state two twins separated birth one went on to be an all-star basketball player chris paul one went on to be an all-star state farm agent cliff paul cliff paul isn't real but that was sort of the, the, the 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 premise of of the, the campaign and if you look at all of state farms marketing communication over the last almost over a decade right working for i worked on it over a decade ago it's all been about helping people because all state farm is here to do is to help people it's in their communication it's in their behavior it's in how the, in the product offering that they believe that they're there to help people make live life more confidently every day uh, by making better decisions and it informs everything that the company does and anyone who touches state farm knows that to be the truth so what about uh, from a leadership perspective who's a who's a leader that you let's say admire for how they've built and modeled and disseminated culture within their organization so <clears throat> I, i've got to say in this and i'm biased because i work with them um there's uh morgan flatley she is the global cmo of mcdonald's um and my in my experience when you work with cmos there is a, a, a power dynamic that is very clear they may be our partners, but like the CMO makes the decision. Uh, but working with Morgan Flatley has been so interesting because I've never seen a CMO be as vulnerable as her. Her level of vulnerability makes it makes it so much easier for us to talk to her, but makes gives her teams permission to be ignorant. It gives her teams permission to say, I don't know if this is going to work. Help me. And as a partner, as an agency partner, when I was with the agency, it, it allowed us to be better partners to her. It allowed, it allowed the organization to feel much more human and allowed people to not only uh, express where they were anemic, but it also created space for people to say, well, I know that. Right? I can speak up there. I can't speak up here, but I can speak up there, which made more people feel like they had agency in the organization. And the marketing function at McDonald's over the last four or five years have been tremendous. I mean, you see it in the market response, like markets, their businesses is through the roof. But the people who work there, they feel like they have so much more ownership of the work. They feel like they are a part of something, right? And Morgan, as then the North American CMO, now global CMO, she was instrumental in doing that. And people who came to work at McDonald's at a time when McDonald's wasn't popping, by the way, like it wasn't like... I went to work at McDonald's was like, I'm going to work at Netflix. It was not the hot thing at the time, but they came to work there because they went to work for Morgan. And Morgan, as a leader, in her times at, at, at Pepsi and beyond, that's just how she leads. She leads from a place of, of, of humanity. And that, 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 that operating system that's in her, her, her belief, how she sees the world, it resonates it reverberates into the entire marketing function so much so, and this is like the best part about it, that so much so as she gets elevated to global, global CMO, the North, the new North American CMO, Tara Hassan, 
her predecessor, her, 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 uh, uh, her, her, not predecessor. Yeah, her predecessor. Right? No, I'm saying that wrong. The person following her, <laughs> brain fart there, continues to lead an organization similarly. Continues to lead an organization with humanity. Continues to lead an organization with the same level of of of, of vulnerability, and as a result, the 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 organization, the function within McDonald's continues to to abide, and I think that's what's 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 important: the legacy that you leave. Yeah, and uh, another thing I appreciated uh, about the book is you talked about cults as a manifestation of culture and uh i think you very eloquently connected that to uh, you know internal cultures i think you i believe you mentioned apple in particular but yeah. let me talk a little bit more about that uh, yeah. i'd love to i'd love to hear you expand on that a little bit yeah I mean, cults are short for culture you know we say that companies you know we say those companies that, that company has a cult-like following what we mean is that the cultural characteristics of the company are salient within a group of people who, even if they're not in the company, they they adhered or, or they, they, they relate to uh, and connect to the beliefs. And then therefore, they, they too practice social solidarity by adhering to the cultural facts. I mean, you know, saying anything uh, disparaging about Elon Musk on, on, on Twitter, I can't even say the word X, the, <laughs> the platform formerly known as Twitter, they're like, yo, the, the Elon Musk fans are going, are going to get you. Right, because supporting him is a way by which they they practice their cultural subscription. So when 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 companies have cult like following, it's that the culture is so salient that you know if you're one of us. And when I started working for Apple, um, I felt like I felt like an Apple employee. I felt like I was a part of it, and I I was a fan fanboy in some ways as a consumer. But when I joined the company, it really became a part of my identity. You know, um, and and as a result, because I identified with it, I therefore ensured that I stayed in lockstep with the cultural, the cultural characteristics, the social facts, what it means to be an Apple guy. I follow the same program for everyday, everyday living, and that's the power of of culture, not only in our professional organizations, but in the way that we vote, the way that we worship, and what we wear, what we do, and every aspect of social living. Yeah, it's funny you mention that because, you know, uh, we tend to make fun of people who in like their LinkedIn profiles or say, you know, X Google, X Apple, whatever. But the reality is that that maybe isn't the thing they should be putting out there, but they're putting it out there for a reason. That's right. Which is they, they're fanboys, for lack of a better That's word, right. or girls. That's right. right. It, either, either, it either is an extension of their identity and they want to communicate that or they know that when you see it, there's certain cognitions and affects that flood in your mind that you now, uh, that you now fix to them. And that's the important part about like identity projects. It's important part about, you know, ways by which we peacock our culture, like a peacock, we sort of show who we are because it's really about shared meaning that when I do a thing, when I wear a thing, when I talk a certain way, it's in a code that other people understand. And we agree that this is cool. I mean, if you drive a fancy car, you know, we spend that money for the fancy car, not just because of its functionality, but that so that you know that I know that you know when you see it that this was expensive. It's the shared meaning. 
but if if the car no longer means that, then it's not as valuable anymore. And the same thing goes with with companies, right? Like if your company is marred in uh in in scandal, maybe 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 ex Twitter employee doesn't feel as interesting anymore, um, considering what has happened to Twitter. But now, actually, pre X, it probably didn't feel as valuable. Now, post X, the the rebranding, it probably actually has a different meaning now. That you were you were you know you were a vestige of the good days, and therefore there's value associated to you based on that shared meaning. Yep. Yeah, I man. Watching this whole thing play out is fascinating right now <laughs> to say the least it's it's gonna be uh it's gonna be a case study in one way shape or form in, oh yeah in most business goals i'm sure oh yeah i'm already prepared for it for, there you for go the fall. <laughs> um so you know we, we talked about mindset in terms of really uh taking inventory of what do you believe in we talked about skill sets in terms of modeling the behavior modeling the culture um, from a leadership perspective. What about the tool sets? And I, I use the word really broadly here in terms of, I'm not talking about tech stack necessarily, sure. yeah. <laughs> but what are the tools that are again, necessary to, again, we're specifically want to focus on internal culture for the, yeah. for purposes yeah. right now, like to, to really make it stick and work. And, you know, the a great example that I love that you brought up is the McDonald's one where the next leader that came in continued on that, right? That doesn't happen by accident. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, I think what's important, the most important skill is empathy. It's the most important skill. Uh, the ability to see the world through lenses that aren't your own, right? Self-aware perspective taking. And that seems, it seems kind of trivial when you say it, just be empathetic. Okay, great. I could do that. No, no, no. Empathy, I mean, it is, it is, it is, it is a great skill because when it's at its best, it requires you to deny yourself. It requires you to say, I see it this way, but that doesn't matter right now. This makes me feel this way, but that doesn't matter right now. What it is is seeing the world through the eyes of someone else, right? And, and, and at its core, you know, the world is not objective, it's subjective. Things aren't the way they are, they are the way that we are, right? For some, a cow is leather, for others, it's a deity, for some, it's dinner. Which one is it? Depends. Depends on who they are and their cultural subscription. The same thing goes in companies. You may say, I, you know, I just said it this way. That's not how they experienced it, right? And, and understanding that people's experiences are just as subjective as our tastes are, Beauty's in the, the eye of the beholder, or meaning's in the mind of the interpreter. And being able to not only understand that truth, but to be able to see the world through someone else's lenses and understand they make meaning, set aside your own dispositions and say, you know, for, to me, that actually sounds kind of stupid, but I can see why that's important to you. And here's how I can help. And, 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 and I love it. Like, um, you know, in the, the Buddhist religion, not Buddhist, but what I know of the Buddhist religion is that empathy is the the precursor but it is as an antecedent it's the next step to compassion and compassion is empathy in action they're like i see the world through your lens i see there's an issue 
I see that there's something going on. Now I'm going to do something about it. And for culture to for culture to 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 be at its highest fidelity possible, it requires us not only seeing the world through other people's lenses, but having the wherewithal to do something about it within the, the, the broader community. And when we're doing that, we're not only taking care of each other, but we're helping establish a muscle memory so that when someone comes in, we can go, oh, no, 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 no. We don't do that around here. Mm-mm, mm-mm. And, and even when, when you have to say it, people experience it because it's so salient, right? There's no, there's no uh, culture book at Apple <laughs> that this is what we do. No, 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 no. When you get there, you go, oh, I see how things work around here, and therefore I. But that's the most important skill, empathy and compassion, putting self-aware perspective taking into action. It's interesting you brought up culture book. Um, so you know, we're, we're a small organization. We do have a culture book, but something uh, that I, I like what you're mentioning is, which goes back to modeling and all that, it's consistently coming back and showing, hey, this was an example of this value. That's this right. was an example of this yeah. principle. I mean, we literally just, just before I got on with you, we were in our on our uh, weekly team meeting, and uh, my wife and business partner, who is also our CXO, walked everybody through. Hey, here's an example, and it also actually goes back to your failure thing you mentioned early on. It was, it was something we all screwed up with, uh, and it actually started with the leadership side of things. And we <laughs> said, Hey, here's here's an example of what not to not to do, and here's why. Because here's what we say we're going to do. Yeah, and this was not an example of that. And here's yeah. the outcome of not following through on this. Yeah. So what what you're doing, as the literature would say, is that you are renegotiating and constructing the culture. Um, Zappos, I don't know if they still do that, but they used to do this when Tony Shea was was with us, still you know alive. Um, they'll do a culture book. And that cult, the, the culture still stays the same. There's like 10 values that they hold. It stays the same. But what they would do is they would get new quotes from employees about that culture, uh, about those values being manifested and what it means to them. So much like you and your, your company, Mike, they, you, you're finding new stories, new narratives. These are new interpretations or new translations, uh, articulations of the culture such that you are, you're building a repository of folklore. You're building a repository of, 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 of text that helps express the culture, the beliefs, the artifacts, behaviors, language as cultural production, such that when people join here, it just becomes that much more material, that much more tangible, right? So you're not like every year, let's rethink the culture, like let's change things in the culture. Rather, it's this is what we believe. Let's make sure that we're staying true to it. And here are the ways by which we evidence that. Here are the proof points that suggest that we're on that we're on point, or or that we got some work to do. So we uh, talked about mindsets, mindsets, talked about skill sets, talked about tool sets. You technically already gave a story of results. The my favorite example of all the ones you mentioned actually is the um, from a marketing perspective is the REI example. Right, because it really shows that connection between internal culture and external culture, and the impact on top line, bottom line, everything all the way through. What do you have another example that that's like that? I'd love I'd love to hear another one. Yeah, you know, um, I think about Google, another client. So, 
this right. I'm just shout out all my clients here. But let's talk about Google for a moment. You know, um, Google as a brand, you know, believes in an idea that you know the the access and distribution of information will help us be more productive, make for a better world. Right? Some I paraphrase it, it, but that's the idea. And Google Pixel, that is the sub brand of Google, their their phone believes that like having this uh, this productivity, we can make progress, right? All about progress. Um, and because they believe that, because they believe that Google invested 10 years, five years of their resources, time, uh, 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 talent to improve the phone camera. Not like the megapixels. No, 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 not, not that. Not like the value propositions that people typically fo focus on when it comes to cameras. Instead, Google realized that technology for a long time had been racially discriminatory. Right? Cameras were based on the Shirley card, which is essentially it's the, the, the color tones in which cameras pick things up. And it pre- uh, is predisposed the technology to focus on people with lighter skin, right? People with darker skin, they either showed up overly saturated, too dark that was rep not representative of who they are, or blotched out, not representative of who they are. And considering that, like, you know, people need to feel seen to feel like they exist. And Google, as a brand, Google Pixel in particular, feel like they weren't making progress if we don't make progress on this thing help people be seen. So they took five years of their effort, their time, et cetera, technology to build this technology they call Realtone. And we launched it for Google in 2021. Um, and while the market share on the phone isn't great, the technology of Realtone has not only completely changed how Google thinks about the products in which it brings to market, it's changed the way employees think about what they do. And what we heard from the, the CMO, uh, Lorraine, she says, hey, you know, first of all, thank you for, for the work. And we loved working with her team. You know, she said, you know, a lot of people feel really proud to work at Google today because of that. I feel proud because the work that they're doing is more than just value proposition led. It's more than just widgets. It's more than just shipping technology. It exists as something far greater, which brings to mind uh, what's known as the, the, the bricklayer's parable. The idea is this. If I see you on the side of the road, Mike, laying bricks, I go, Mike, what are you doing? You go, I'm laying bricks, Marcus. Cool. Mike has a job. He lays bricks. He's a bricklayer. But if I see you on the side of the road laying bricks, I go, Mike, what are you doing? And you say, oh, I'm building a church. Oh, that Mike has a career. You build churches. But if I'm driving down the street and I see you laying bricks, I go, Mike, what in the world are you doing? You go, oh, I'm building the house of God. That Mike has a calling. Which Mike is more excited about coming to work every day? The one with the calling or the one with the job. And the idea of this 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 belief, this 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 North Star that is the gravitational pull of not only why we're here, but directs where we go, that the products become better fit for the market. It changes the perspective that, in, that influences not only that product, but all the suite of products that are offered, but it also makes the people inside the organization feel much more connected. And as a result, they work better together. So I was I was going to end it right there, but you just brought something up. I, I'd love to dig into if you if you still have the time. Yes, do it. So 
it's something I personally struggle with and uh, from a philosophical perspective, you know, this concept of, you know, if you love what you do, you have to work a day in your life and purpose yep. and meaning, etc. So on the one hand, what you just described with the Ricklayer parable, right? That totally makes sense. I agree. Do you think that everybody that works in an organization ha- can have that? Let's start with that. Is it possible biologically? Yes. Um, um, yes, it is possible. Is it realistic? Maybe not. You know, um, they're always outliers. You know, we think about the population statistically, it is a bell curve. It's the normal curve. And the majority of people are going to be normal in the middle. And there are going to be people on the ends, the fringe. It's always going to happen. Right? It's, 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 all, it's always uh, it, it's just how things are. And therefore, the majority of people can be a part of the thing. And other people, not so much. So we get 100%. 100%. Um, and I think the, the idea here is that you as the company aren't the ones going to influence people to get in line. It's going to be the people who do that. And if you can get the majority of people on board, the majority of people will influence the people who are on, on, on the sides. And the laggards, the ones who are totally fringe, they won't stick al- around long because they won't feel like they belong. They'll go find somewhere else to be miserable. No, they go find somewhere else where they feel much more like they belong. And maybe those companies are all transactional in nature, right? And then you deal with the marketplace, the marketplace uh, conditions of transactional uh, uh, relationships with, with employees. It's just a job. It's a nine to five. At nine o'clock, I show up at 4.59, my chair is spinning, right? Like, like that's the level of engagement that you get. Um, but I think it's possible. It's just very, 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 very difficult. Therefore, does it feel as realistic? Yep. Uh, I think that ties everything together really well, going back all the way to, again, taking inventory, having uh, uh, purposefully building and uh, influencing, if you will, that, that culture. And then it all kind of goes from there. Yeah, you're not going to get everybody, but the people that want to be there, that's okay. And that's, and that's exactly how you got to think about it. Same thing with the market. You're not going to convince everyone to buy your product, and that's okay. Even Jay-Z said it ain't for everybody, and that's okay. Yep. I think that's that's a perfect perfect place to stop. Uh, everybody that's listening and watching, if you haven't read the book, highly recommend it. Great read. And has some really important lessons for all of us, I think, as marketers. Uh, Marcus, one last thing maybe to leave people with is if there's one thing that you want people to take away from this thing that we call culture, what would it be? As marketers. That it's a a cheat code. It is the most most influential external force on human behavior. The better we understand it, the more likely we are to get people to move. And the ones who don't understand it are the more likely to be influenced by it. Awesome. Well, Marcus, thank you so much for your time. Everybody else, we will see you next week. Thanks for joining us on another episode of the Master Marketer Show. We'll be back next week with more B2B marketing success stories. 
visit our website, www.proofpoint.marketing, for the full episode library, complete with show notes, guides, templates, and more. Make sure to follow Proofpoint Marketing on LinkedIn and YouTube so you never miss an episode. Listen every Wednesday wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time.